All right, America. My name is Amir Osei Frimpong. I'm going to be hosting um, Breaking Brown tonight, and we have a big show tonight planned. Yvette's out of town taking care of some family business, and uh, she'll be back actually tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, to do a special Breaking Brown because she's out tonight. But tonight, I'm doing it. I'm doing the show. So I need you to gather around and... I need you to especially share this video on your social media feed. That means tweet it or uh, go to Facebook. Actually, I need to go to Facebook right now and put it on my... Tell people I'm live right now. Um, Go to Facebook. Tell people you're on. I don't have another producer right now. Um, Some intern, our intern Michael, who's... Or Matthew, who's wonderful, is working remotely. Um... But, uh, I'm on now, we're going to do black politics, we're going to do it right, and like I said, we have a big show planned tonight. Let me just get my tech right. Hey y'all, so once again, tell your friends, share this to your, share this to your um, Facebook, tweet it out if you tweet it. Subscribe to this channel, because a lot of people don't know... Um, I, too, have a channel where I do the earlier videos are political philosophy. I'm a, I'm a PhD student in political philosophy. So I do political philosophy in short bits to um, 70s funk and 90s hip-hop. So it will be like, what is neoliberalism in six minutes to like 70s funk and 90s hip-hop? And, uh, or like, what is liberalism? What is justice? What are institutions? All of those videos you can find on my channel. That's the channel you're seeing this video on, most likely, at IMEOSA Frimpong or The Funky Academic. And those videos are actually, I think, I used, I started this about two years ago to use those videos as pedagogical tools, teaching tools for, for classrooms, and they've been picked up by a lot of college classrooms, and I think no small amount of high school classrooms also. So go back through the catalog and look at uh, the what is, what are rights. You know, like what is freedom? Although the what is freedom video is a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit thick, so you might have to see it three or four times. Um, so that's what I do on this channel. I say that as people, I, I want to give people a chance to file in. And so we're going to talk about a few things in terms of black politics today. We're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Chance the Rapper because the kids love Chance, right? And, and we have to figure out. And this is a live question that we're going to come back to probably again and again and again, or at least a few times, about whether um, hip-hop is an avenue for social justice or whether hip-hop is an avenue of social control. And um, a lot of that depends on who picks what groups make it and who picks what gets on the radio, who picks what gets the right reviews um, if so, you don't know, while people uh, file in, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story about, I used to work for Chance's dad, Ken Bennett, in Chicago. I've had like 17,000 jobs um, in, in, in my almost 40 years. One of them was an intern in then pre- President Obama's office uh, when, he, when President Obama was in Chicago, or when Senator Obama was the uh, U.S. Senator from Illinois, and I worked in the Chicago office. Um, I can't find your video. Excuse me? I can't find your video on your, on your site. 
Okay. So, well, all right. So, I was I was an intern in then-Senator Obama's office, and my job, I had two jobs. One, I needed to build the then-Senator's email list full of, like, black luminaries so that when he was going to run for president, it would be an easy shift to use that, 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 that email list to... Um, build his donor base and support. And also my other job was to um, recruit black high schoolers into uh, the service academies because in order to get a service academy, that's Air Force, um, West Point for the Army, or well, the Colorado Springs for, uh, or Annapolis for the Navy. In order to get into one of those service academies, you needed a letter of recommendation from a congressman. And so, like, you know, then Senator Obama was like, look, you know, let's get more black people applying to the service academies because they get free tuition and blah, blah, blah. So my job was to recruit black students to apply, you know, tell them to fill out their essays and tell them to take their score, their, their tests, and, you know, apply to get a letter of recommendation. Well, it turns out half the letter of recommendation, like, let's say, um, then Senator Obama would write 30 letters of recommendations. Half of those recommendations would come from um, half of those recommendations would come from for donors' kids, right? So if you gave a lot of money to the Democratic Party, like your dad would call the office, and then like there'd be like a letter of recommendation from you for you to go to one of the service academies waiting, like. And then the other half of those uh, letters of recommendations, let's say the other fifteen, would come from uh, the pool that I was adding to. Right? So that, let's say, like, at the end, there'd be 300 kids total, right? Like, 40 of them were the ones that I recruited, and then uh, 260 of them were from just everyone else who wanted to go to a service academy from um, Illinois. So what happened was, after I recruited all of those black kids to apply to the service academies, what they would do is make the first cut from 300 to like 50 based on just test scores. And if you know anything about the way test scores work in America or generational wealth and generational poverty and, and how these tests are skewed, that's pretty much all of the people I recruited. So it was my job to waste a lot of 17-year-olds' time telling them that they had a chance um, to get into the service academy um, by working, by like, you know, writing cover letters and like getting their letter of recommendations right. But then at the end, they would just get cut because the intern next to me, his uh, job was to make that first cut and they just didn't even read the essays. They just made it off a test course. And that's black life, right? So you have one class at that time, my class, the collaborator class, whose job it is to waste other black people's time. That's a problem. It's also a reason I didn't stay very long at then Senator Obama's office. But while I was there, the chief of staff, oh, I guess my third job was to take Ken Bennett's messages. So while I was there, the chief of staff was a guy named Ken Bennett. His son, Chancellor Bennett, you might know as Chance the Rapper. Now, Chance the Rapper has been making a lot of hay race recently about his political motivations. Um, and I don't know Chance the Rapper very much, but I do know Ken Bennett, and I was in... Chicago long enough to know enough of that set of black democratic operatives to know that they mean you no good. 
um, insofar as they will go for black people right up until it gets in the way of them and their personal legacy. So if we, if Chance the Rapper's politics, because from all, all I see is that this kid is looking to run for higher office later, um, and he will have the entire support of the entire Democratic Party. But for a family of that sensibility, politics is the family business, not necessarily doing good by black people, right? So what's the difference? Chance the Rapper is going to be your advocate right up until it gets in the way of white capital going into the Bennett clan's family. And that's a problem because any black politics that means something in Chicago is going to have to be on the other side of a lot of white capital. And that's just not where you, like, that's just not what Chance is going to do. And if you watch, this is going to be maneuvered by a specific kind of black politics, a kind of black politics that's especially uh, popular on the white left and then the center of the Democratic Party, and even a little bit in Black Lives Matter, although like a lot of the movement for black lives people have, have wisened up. It's a black politics that ghettoizes black concerns to criminal justice, right? In the same way that's tempting to ghettoize Latino concerns to immigration, it's really easy to ghettoize black concerns to criminal justice. Because if you do that, then you don't have to come up with a plan for jobs for black people. You don't have to come up with a plan for a public education system for poor black people. You don't have to actually come up with a plan to address generational poverty and generational degradation that disproportionately affects black people because it was state-sponsored in a way that targeted black people. If you ghettoize black concerns to criminal justice, you found a way to get black votes without upsetting white capital, except for the little bit of white capital that depends on um, prison labor. So I want you to be very careful for your black politicians who don't talk about employment discrimination, who don't talk about um, generational poverty, generational um, state-sponsored domestic terrorism, those black politicians who don't talk about housing discrimination and housing segregation, those black politicians or any politicians who only talk about black people in terms of criminal justice, because that's a way to get out of the real justice claims. Not the real justice claims, that's, that, that might be overstating it. That's a way to get out of the other justice claims that actually threaten white capital. And honestly, if we had a lot of black people making $20 an hour, $25 an hour, like the crime would almost take care of itself, except for, um, you know, a few other uh, uh, domestic terrorism issues. So don't, so watch, watch these politicians. Watch these politicians' kids, because they're going to give you a black politics that doesn't lead to money in black people's pockets. And that's what I'm going to take. So Chancellor Rapper, be very suspicious of him. Um, you know, when you see Michelle Obama, like, like when you see Michelle Obama stumping for chance, just remember Michelle Obama was the one who went for, um, healthy foods, but then stayed mute with respect to the lead in, in Flint's water. So she might not be about your life either. I, I have my own suspicions about Michelle Obama, just about her concern for poor black people. I think... 
She's very concerned about the Obama name and the Obama clan. I don't think she's concerned about your kid. Um, I lived in Chicago in the neighborhood where the local public school that Malia and Sasha Obama would have gone to had they not gone to the private lab school. The local public school that they would have gone to um, was shut down when... um, It it was shut down by... um, uh, Arnie Duncan and Rahm Emanuel. Like, so, like, there are two Obama people who shut down the Obama local public school. So, I, like, that, like, disproportionately served, you know, poor and working class black kids. So, I have my issues with the Obama's commitment to your people. I think they're perfectly committed to chance, and I think they're perfectly committed to, like, their lives and their legacies. I just don't think they're committed to, you know, the generational degradation, uh, like the the legacy of America's legacy of redressing slavery. I mean, this comes from President Obama, who said he might agree with reparations in theory, but um, didn't want to fight for it because he thought it might be a losing battle. So, fighting for justice for Black people is always going to seem like a losing battle. That's like what it is to fight for justice for black people. The work of politics is to create majorities, not just kowtow to them. And Obama wasn't about trying to create a majority of people who actually believe that maybe reparations might be a good thing for descendants of slaves. And to be honest, to pass a reparations bill, you only need about 35% of white people, 35 to 37% of white people to actually believe in it. Then you just work on other people to think that it's okay. And you kind of sandwich it into a few other bills and like, or a few other um, um, planks in a platform and it actually could be a, a part of a platform. Right now it's in the Movement for Black Lives platform. Um, but you probably didn't know that, but it's still in the mo- it's, it's, it's in the platform, and that's like how you, you 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 can move policy. So this is important because there's another young black politician who's making waves across these United States, specifically from the state of Georgia, and her name is Stacey Abrams. So Stacey Abrams is a talented politician, has been the minority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives and is a 43-year-old Yale Law graduate who has a um, sideline as a romance novelist and her sister is also a Yale graduate from the law school and it's all very fancy. So we want to support this sister, right? So the problem is she doesn't have a worked out plan for black people to break out of generational poverty. And, like, she doesn't have a worked-out plan to put money into black people's pockets. She's not out there like, I'm going to be the next Marion Barry except for the entire state of Georgia. I'm going to get these state contracts and put them into black people's pockets. I'm going to create pipelines from kindergarten through plumber to make sure that, like, black kids whose grandparents were sharecroppers end up being a plumber with a fat government contract. She's not talking that kind of talk. She's not talking about like Maynard Jackson was about how our construction pro- in 19, um, 1996, Maynard Jackson says, look, we can ha- the Atlanta can have the Olympics, but 30% of all construction projects have to go to black-owned businesses. That's a big deal. That's a lot of money. Um, so if Stacey Abrams is talking like that or starts to talk like that, then we'll talk about supporting Stacey Abrams. 
Right now, there are two Stacey Abrams. There are two Stacey's running for the Georgia governor. There's Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans. Stacey Abrams is the black one. Stacey Evans is the white one. However, this is very confusing because Stacey Abrams has a Jewish-sounding name, and Stacey Evans sounds like she could be a member of uh, Good Times. So, like... Don't get it confused. Stacey Abrams is the black one. Stacey Evans is the white one. Except Stacey Abrams, we need to make sure we need to pin her down. Um, and I said I wasn't going like, to like go out too hard, but we need to pin her down between now and Election Day on a program that addresses, that redresses black generational poverty, especially in a state like... Um, in a state like Georgia. For example, the flagship university, the University of Georgia, the university I'm a graduate student at right now, was a segregated institution until 1971 when it was desegregated by court order with you know two students. And anytime you desegregate, that's the flagship university. That's like, well, all, like a lot of money comes through Athens, Georgia, through the University of Georgia. And when the University of Georgia is segregated white, that means all the staff is, is white. All the, the higher-end staff, the upper five-figure, uh, six-figure salary staff is, is segregated white. And those are a lot of jobs, especially considering that Athens, Georgia, is 27% without students, around 35%, or 27% with students, around 35% without students black, which means that there are a lot of black Athens residents who could be working good five-figure, low-six-figure jobs as administrators at a big flagship university if... Um, the city of Athens hadn't had a, such a strong legacy of, of, of segregation and the university itself wasn't a segregated university. And so that's black people in Athens locked out of those jobs just because their parents weren't allowed to have those jobs. So if Stacey Abrams said, look, we're going to make sure that every major public university in um, the state of Georgia has staffing, not just like janitors, but actually has administrative staffing up through the hospitals that is, you know, 20% black or like black in a way that's adequate to the local populations. And if we need to do that, we need to make pipelines from those local elementary school on through those staff positions to make sure that that's a hap that happens and to establish those pipelines so that I'm going to lay and Stacey Abrams could say, look, I'm going to put down a 20 year plan or a 25 year plan to make sure black people are included in the Georgia public economy. If Stacey Abrams comes out with that plan, I'll be happy to endorse Stacey Abrams until then. She's just another, you know, ambitious black politician who might not be all about fighting for black life and black livelihood, right? So we're going to need an economic plan from our, governor can uh, from our gubernatorial candidates. Also, honestly, if I were the other Stacey, the white Stacey named Evans, you now have the political cover to come out with the most pro-black platform in the history of white people doing pro-black politics. You could be more pro-black than Jim Brown and just say, look, I need to come out with a pro-black politics because, you know, the other Stacey that I'm running against is actually black. So I need to somehow, like, complicate that vote or cut into that vote. So, Stacey Evans, if you want someone to do your black politics for you, Hit me up at uh, ironme at thefunkyacademic.com 
And, uh, you know, I'll work for you, too, because I don't care about electing black faces. I want to push a black politics and a black programs that will redress the masses of black poverty and, genera- and redress the generational poverty. Right? I want to see, I want the next, I want programs and policies that will create the next generation of black architects. Not just black engineers, because I know a lot of black engineers, but black architects and black dentists and dental hygienists. And I want black people at every six-figure job that you got white people doing. I need a program and I need a government program um, that will guarantee a pipeline to that job from like eight, from year eight to that job. Because without that government pipeline, we can't depend on the market to handle, uh, to handle providing jobs at that level for black people because the market and the state and our government was instrumental in locking people out of those jobs. And now, since we're in the late phases of, of, of American, uh, you know, American political economy, like... You need expertise. They say it takes three generations to do a job. It takes three generations to make a career. So that means if you're a judge, there's a high likelihood that your, your, uh, your, your parents were lawyers or like English teachers or something like that. And then their parents were like more literate than most. <laughs> so like it takes three generations to, to, to make a career. And so we need the policies now that are going to make up of for being generationally locked out of those professions. Like, I want to see black pest control people. I think I want to see black air conditioned people. But honestly, like, all of these things are, all of these things are, are crafts that take apprenticeships in time. And it's not often that a white pest control person or a white air conditioner person is going to take time and the patience to apprentice, um, you know, a black kid, especially when they have nephews to take care of, you know, worthless nephews, a real estate agency. So I look at, I look at all of the, the employment opportunities that black people are locked out of, and I need public policy that's going to redress and create the pipelines necessary to get sharecroppers' kids, to, to get domestic workers' kids into a pipeline to become an architect in one generation. That's your job, government, and I want black politicians who push for those kind of pipelines. So criminal justice is easy. Give me the pipelines that will create black architects. That's what I want. That's what we all should be asking for um, out of our black politics. Now, it looks like um, more people have filed in and more people know about the show, so... What I'm going to do is say, look, you need to subscribe to this channel. Tell your friends about this channel. Tell your friends about Breaking Brown, a vet's channel, which is excellent. But also tell them about the Funky Academic because um, on through this year, I'm going to be doing more and more local politics. I have aspirations to do a local politics show based in Athens, Georgia, Georgia called The Black Athenians. And in that local politics show, we'll like dig down and name names about how to create a black middle class in Athens, Georgia. It'll be modeling local politics in a way that hopefully is portable. And um, I'll tell you how to create a lot of enemies. So now I'm looking at, I'm looking at the, the, the chat in YouTube. Thanks, guys, for coming all in. Um,
And remember, we're not voting for black faces anymore. We tried that with Obama. And if you look at the home ownership rates, that wasn't working for us. We're voting for black policies. And if those black, pol- those black faces don't have black policies, and I'm talking about policies for the black masses, not for the black, like, you know, Ivy League class, but bl- policies for the black masses, then, like, let's start putting pressure on, on, on white politicians because, like, we're, we're voting policies, not faces. And we need to tell other people to vote policies, not faces, too, because symbolic policies isn't going to, like, isn't going to, one, keep black people out of jail, but it's not going to buy black people a house. Like, symbolism doesn't buy black people houses, doesn't get black people jobs, um, doesn't get black people good jobs. So, now that I talked, now that I warned you about my concerns with Stacey Abrams not being specific for her agenda, and I said I wouldn't go too hard, I would just like warn you that like she's a, 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 a black politician who might not actually be committed to our life. Um, I'm going to give her the opportunity to come out with this black agenda before I hammer her. So, I'm watching. And you better believe Yvette's watching you, Stacey, so... Come correct. And I do want to say one other thing in general, and this is the general point that's actually important, about young politicians who seem like really precocious and really ambitious and really talented. Those are the ones you have to watch most carefully because you don't become a high-level young politician in this generation by having radical politics. You become a high-level young politician in this generation by being willing to compromise and reproduce the conventional wisdom of whatever patron you're looking to get money from. So watch politicians under 50. (laughs) Like, watch politicians under 30. Guys like John Ossoff, they didn't get there because they have radical politics. They got there because... Older white money likes them. Stacey Abrams did not get where she is by articulating radical politics. She got them by being non-offensive to older white money. You don't get through Yale by having radical politics, right? Like, this isn't the Julian Bond generation. This is a different generation. They got there by, you know, um, scribbling in the right... Um, bubbles in the right tests at the right time and getting the right recommendations by not offending the right professors at the right time. And I say this as a person who's gone pretty far in academia and, and, and had to make choices um, that the fastest way to get to the top as a black person, especially a black person under 40 or under 50, is by, doing grime, by, will, by being willing to do grimy, grimy things to other black people. So the fact that she's so high and so vaunted, so young, isn't necessarily um, a, a, a accolade in her favor. It's actually something to be uh, wary of. And it's, a, it's something for, to, to give you a reason to ask for specific policies. Not to not vote for her, but to demand specific policies, not to be... Um, um, taken by the fact that she's just a sister who's young and doing well by the Democratic Party. For example, compare her to Vincent Fort, who's a 60-year-old guy running for 
for a governor who I'm not running for governor who's running for Atlanta mayor who actually has a quality of politics and quality of poli- will push for the quality of, of, of policies that will get money into black people's poli- uh, pockets. So if you have to choose between a young cat like Kasim Reed who's being termed out but like or he's, who's not running again or Vincent Ford an older guy with the right politics pick the older guy with the right po- with the right politics. Please. Youth is a way, like, getting people to pick for the next generation, the younger generation, is a way to trick, like, black people into giving over their politics. Another strategy um, that I want to talk about, it's on my handy-dandy list, to, about black politics and the way we're getting tricked out of, out of what we do is, and I'll start with the story. All right, gather around. I was getting my car serviced at the dealership and um, I look on television and I see Tom Selleck uh, telling older people to, to take out reverse mortgages on their house. It was very disturbing because it was a long commercial in the middle of the day. I don't, I don't watch TV in the middle of the day, like, but like I was getting my car service and I looked up and I know a lot of older people too watch TV in the middle of the day. And there was Tom Selleck um, telling people to take out a reverse mortgage on your house. Black people. Do not take out a reverse mortgage on your house. We have an elder care problem in the United States um, because we don't have the political supports everywhere to take care of our older generation the way we should. However, black people, we disproportionately do not have life insurance. We disproportionately do not have a major stock portfolio. Our wealth is disproportionately in our house. The 42% of households who actually have them as like, compared to the 70-some-odd percent of white households who actually have houses and aren't renting. We have 42%. So we don't, our home ownership numbers are lower, but what wealth we have is in our homes. Do not take out these reverse mortgages just because Magnum tells you to. Magnum does not care about your legacy, black people. Magnum only cares about Tom Selleck's legacy and getting paid by the banks to get you to give your house to the banks. Because what happens, and I've had multiple black baby boomers over the last year tell me that like they're getting pressured from the banks to take out the reverse mortgage, but they're scared because when they pass on, their kids aren't going to be able to take, because uh, for various reasons in the, the U.S. economy, their kids are not going to be able to take up the taxes and the mortgage. So they'll lose the house. And a lot of these white governed district, they want the banks to take your house so that they give your house to whatever university or whatever hospital or whatever institution that wants to take, like grab your stuff or whatever developer is going to line the politician's pockets. So we need a black politics that actually ha- like supports um, consumer protections and that'll keep black people from signing away their houses just because like they've been marketed to because marketing works they got magnum on tv for a reason because it works if you see billy d williams telling telling you to sell your house and take out a reverse mortgage don't do it black people don't do it. We do have an elder care problem. And for example, there are great places who do this well. For example, in Kansas City, they have a public elder care facility. Um, and I think there's one or two in Chicago that actually are reasonably placed and reasonably priced. Um, so like, we don't have to um, sell our houses at a loss or take out 
a reverse mortgage to pay for elder care. We can actually get elder care somewhere else that's reasonable while actually giving a house to, you know, your grandkids or something like that. So this is especially important because in the United States, the story in the 21st century is not going to be so much. The story in the 20th century is not going to be so much income, what you make in a year. It's going to be wealth. Wealth. All the money, a lot of the money, not all the money, but a lot of the money that has been made um, or will be made has been made. And it's been made by baby boomers or before baby boomers. And a lot of it's been made while black people were locked out of the economy or only in, like, say, 13 jobs. Um, So protecting our wealth is actually important if you care about our legacy. And remember, the banks, the institutions, a lot of our political leadership does not care about your kids. It does not care about your, your, your grandkids. It does not care about like your community wealth. In fact, it wants to take it because somehow we've ended up in the middle of cities and like a lot of white people want their cities back because they don't want to commute in from the suburbs. All right. So I'm going to check out YouTube for a little bit. Hey, y'all. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we need to talk about, we need, to, yeah, I got a haircut. Yeah, I did get a haircut. I got a haircut. I had to go to a conference and, like, sometimes things happen. Um, I'm not a huge fan of getting haircuts, but uh, every now and then, every now and then, um, I do it because I look right. So, the... Goal of this show, people ask, why are you doing this black politics? Uh, The goal of this show is black political education. The goal of all of our institutions should be black political education because we need institutions that help us govern. And right now, all of our institutions help us be better consumers. (laughs) But as I'm going to read, we need the kind of institutions that help us govern so we can get real money into the black community. Not just... Um, survival money, like not just a soup kitchen, but $25, $27 an hour jobs so that you can actually build and produce um, and have disposable capital to start your own business or invest in your own dues-paying organizations or, or make your own moves. Um, but we first need a plan, a politics that will get us a quality of jobs that we deserve. So if you're watching this now, can you hit that little bell on the um, on the video, there's like subscribe, and then there's a little bell. Hit that little bell so that every time I end up doing a video here, you'll get a notification, and we can do this political education together. All right, so why is black politics um, important? In 2016, the federal government awarded over... $470 billion. That's the federal billion dollars. That's the federal government, not even the state. Federal government awarded $470 billion to private companies in the form of government contracts. There's an um, article on Huffington Post right now concerning why uh, black CBC leaders should meet with Trump. Um, and they should meet with Trump to get some of this money to get a chance at some of this money. Look, black people, we don't have a lot of power in the Republican Party. We have to negotiate with them. We, don't, we actually might have to be polite and nice with Republicans. We don't have to be polite and nice with Democrats. We can tell the Democrats to do whatever we want them to do. We don't do that because 
we've been programmed and controlled by people like Joy Reid who just tell us to be mad at Republicans and do whatever Democrats do. But actually, our play, our strategy as a matter of political strategy is be mean to Democrats, make sure we extract what we need from Democrats because 94% of us vote for Democrats. And honestly, outside of like Washington, D.C. and Oregon, and maybe California, because California's getting rid of black people. Democrats can't do anything without black people. So we need to use our power with Democrats, and we don't have to be nice about it, to get our money from Democrats. We need to be polite to Republicans, because they're all white supremacists anyway. So if we can get a little bit of a, we can get, we can get a nut of that $470 billion um, in federal contracts to black businesses or black programs, then we need to do that. Like, it's a con- your congressman, your job is to meet with power. In my estimation, the CBC actually, like, is derelict of duty for not um, meeting with Trump. Sure, it's going to turn into a photo op, so you have stipulations. Or if you have another plan that goes with not meeting Trump, you need to come out with that plan clearly and publicly. You can't just say you refuse to meet with Trump because he's not your president or because he's mean to you, or because he insults you. You need to come out with a plan on how you're going to get that money to the black people around Trump if you're not going to actually meet with Trump. So $470 billion to private company. Um, only 1.8% of those dollars were awarded to black-owned businesses. That's 1.8%. We're 13 to 14% of these United States, 12 to 14% of these United States. With a claim, not with the, well, not just any old twelve to thirteen percent. Well, not like Mormons. Like we're twelve to thirteen percent with a claim on government wealth. So honestly, we should be getting fifteen percent of those contracts. Should be getting fifteen percent of those contracts, and we should be arguing for a politics that guarantees black people fifteen percent of those contracts, and then make them figure it out. Because we have a claim, and then as a matter of justice, we only need our thirteen percent. Um, Proportion, but we need also restitution. So we need to be asking for 15 or 20. And we need to get our Democrat, we need our Democratic um, congressmen and officials to be asking for 20, and then we negotiate to get 15. And if we're not doing that, then we don't know what our politics um, means. And then, even in, for example, in New York City, right? New York City gave $15.3 billion away in contracts. Um, 95% of those companies were owned by white men. Black people. There are black people in New York. We need to get those contracts. And we need a politics that puts pressure on city, county, state, and federal uh, municipal contractors um, to give preferential treatment to black black-owned businesses and black companies. And you say, I mean, why, why, why preferential treatment? Because if you give poor white people money, the first thing they do, or if you give poor non-black people money, the first thing they do is get away from black people and then starve black people of public resources. So if you give a poor, uh, poor white family, 30, a poor white family who's making like, you know, $20,000, $25,000 a money, $20,000, $25,000 a year, a family for the kids are in public school, if you give them $80,000, the first thing they're going to do is rip their kids out of public school if their public school is too many black people and then put their kids in the private school. Which will, and then, since segregation needs to, leads to neglect and indifference, they'll vote to starve that public school full of money. Uh, starve that public school of money. So, 
you can't just give money to everybody. Because if you give money to everybody, what they do is get together and weaponize it against the most vulnerable population, which is us. So we need a specific benefit where everyone else stays the same and we get a kick up. Right? So people think that we're in solidarity with poor white people. No. Most poor white people are just like racist. And a lot of actually black people... Um, if they have, don't have their politics and sensibility right, are just itching to be anti-black racist, anti-black, anti-poor black um, racist also. If we give them money, the first thing they do is going, is going to be actualize their racism. Because right now their racism is latent. It's weak. It's impotent. They're just poor, impotent racists. As soon as you give them money, now they become actualized, externalized, functional racists. And so we need a black politics before we just start like um, advocating willy-nilly for universal programs for everybody. Because once everybody gets those jobs, what they do is use those extra resources against black people. So we need to be hard on our black politicians and our white politicians who want our vote to come up with a plan for black generational poverty. Not personal cover of generational poverty, black generational poverty. Because we have black problems that deal with a black legacy. That deal with a black legacy. So you got that? You got that, YouTube? All right. Thanks, guys. Like I said, I'm trying to do black... Um, I'm, I'm trying to do black, uh, black politics and black political education. So this is why we need a specific, a specific benefit. Because if you don't give us a specific benefit, everyone else will use the general benefit and, and get it together and use it against us and then end up starving us of public resources. So everyone else needs to stay the same. Black people need to go up. And it's a matter of justice. Not like because it's our tribe, but because like we're actually owed. It just so happens to be our tribe is owed a justice claim. All right. So we've talked about what black politics can do, which is get these contracts to black-owned businesses, or what Chokwe Lumumba is doing. Um, in Chokwe Lumumba is the recently uh, elected. Right now he's still in a, he just finished his primary, he's going to a general. But he's a recently um, primaried, successful primary candidate in Jackson, Mississippi. Since Jackson, Mississippi is over 85% black, once you win the Democratic primary, you're pretty much a shoe in to win the election. So Chokwe Lumumba, um, if he's anything like his father, um, Chokwe Lumumba, and he said he was, is going to try to institute programs for black cooperative businesses to get city contracts. That's a quality of politics we need. And let me, before I open up the phones, because I'm about to open up the phones, let's talk a little bit about what it's going to take to get black people in every occupation in America. We've been locked out of most occupations, right? Like there aren't a lot of black dentists. There are some black dentists. There aren't a lot of black pilots. There are some black pilots. There aren't a lot of black female pilots. There are some black female pilots, but we've been functionally locked out and locked into about 13 to 15 occupations. That's a problem, but it's not going to be a problem that can be handled um, in, with, by the market, right? 
I called in my air conditioning guy, and this is an important story. I called in my air conditioning guy because I'm in the South now, and we had some air conditioning problems. Called in the air conditioning guy, and I tried to go out of my way to find black contractors, but I just couldn't find a black air conditioning contractor in Athens. And so, like, I ended up going to a white guy, although, like, it's important to set up infrastructures to connect black contractors because we don't have the disposable income for marketing budgets. It's important to um, try to find a civic infrastructure, maybe a black business directory, to make sure black contractors get their, get their, get their ways out. Anyway, so I ended up with a white uh, air conditioning guy come over. And what happened was there was a white master air conditioner um, repairman and a white apprentice air conditioner repairman. And the white apprentice air conditioner repairman was very much an apprentice who did not like know the job. And the white master air, um, air condition guy um, was teaching the, uh, the, the white apprentice. And that's, and following now, they look similar enough that like one was one's nephew or like cousin. Like the, and that's how trades and air condition. Um, Air conditioned uh, contracting is a good job in the South. That's going to be a good job. Pest control is a good job. But if we don't have uncles or church members who are going to apprentice us, we need, because our uncles or church members are like, you know, descendants of sharecroppers, we need government to set up pipelines to force these businesses to take on um, uh, 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 black apprentices. And so eventually we can get our own businesses and pay them well, even if the government is subsidizing part of the salary so that eventually these apprentices, when they get on their own, actually have the extra capital to start their own businesses, to start their own auto shops, to start their own um, wheel places. So we're not just in 13 to 15 occupations. We're in all of the occupations um, to start our own production businesses. Right? There's a reason why like, I want... I want you to go to Breaking Brown and kick in a monthly so I can create more interns and actually train interns to do what I'm doing so that there are more black people who know their way around television production equipment, even if it's just live streaming video production equipment. Like, this is a craft. This is a craft. Um, So... Plumbers, electricians, heating and cooling. Those are all really good jobs. There's a great, uh, thanks, who's saying that? Kesia Kenton say that. There's a great joke about how um, a doctor was getting his, had a drain, so he had to call in a plumber. And the plumber came in and said, uh, well, here's the bill. I cleared your drain. And the doctor looked at the bill and said, there's a lot of money for a plumber. And the plumber said, um, yeah, that's just how much it costs. And the doctor said, well, this is more than I charge, and I'm a doctor. And then the plumber looks and says, well, yeah, that's more than I made when I was a doctor, too. So plumbers do fine, especially if you get a plumber with one of those nice government contracts that hopefully, if we do our politics right, it's going to be Stacey Abrams' job to get to black people. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you guys appreciated the joke. It's a, it's a good joke. There's nothing wrong with being a trade there is something wrong with training for a trade and not getting a contract because you don't have your politics right. So um, we need blacks in all the trades and we need the quality of politics that will force trades to apprentice blacks and then force um, institutions to give those apprentice blacks 
contractors, their first contractors, even if the apprentices screw it up, even if those first generation air heating and cooling people screw it up, because you know, we don't know how to do this. Like we're not, it takes three generations to make a career. We don't know how to do this. We should be able to screw up a few times. Damn right, I said we should be able to screw up the two times. Maybe we're not going to be the cheapest bid. We, we got to pay for other things. <laughs> like we should still get that contract because that's what it means to be a degraded, like to, to, to have tried to make your way um, in a land full of domestic terrorism. Honestly, people like me talk like this and they got shot a generation ago. So like, we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help. We got shut out of construction. That is right. Construction, those are good jobs. Working on barges, welders. Good. These are all jobs. Dentists. These are all jobs um, that black people should be doing but aren't doing because we need the pipelines and to take pipelines seriously. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to open up. I'm going to first put the number up and then I'm going to open up calls and we're going to have our conversation. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. Um, but let me get this number up and we'll talk about what we need to talk about. All right. All right, numbers up. Go ahead and call in and we'll get this conversation going. Remember, Yvette's going to have her show tomorrow night. She's having an extra special show. Um... Tomorrow night, and then she's having a regular Wednesday show. So tell your friends about this show. Subscribe. If I get enough subscriber, I'm going to get my local Black Politics Athens show going. So we'll really talk about like how to do Black Politics at a local level, but we'll try to do it in a way that's portable. That means we're going to go after some of the Black preachers and pastors who might not be doing the quality of Black Politics that our people deserve and need. And that means we'll do all. We're going to, if I get this black politics show going, we're going to name all the names and we're going to go at it hard because either you're going to be for a black politics that gets money into black people's pockets and creates the pipelines we need, or you're going to be part of the problem. And I'm not going to be afraid to, to run you over if you're part of the problem. So let's get that show going. To do that, I'm going to need some more subscribers and uh, go to the Funky Academic, maybe kick down. Um, you know, five, ten dollars a month or something like that. And let's get that going. And let's get the political education we need. This is this is what we need black politics to look at look like. Not just talking about criminal justice, but talking about how to get money into black people's pockets. And not just talking about soup kitchens or project housings, but talking about the quality of jobs guaranteed that like for black people that will get them the money they need for an actual down payment. Or subsidized down payment on a house that they'll be able to like, uh, use as an asset to build their business or pass on to their kids. That's the quality of black politics we need. Not charity, soup kitchens, or projects, but um, home ownership and jobs at $20, $25, an hour. All right. So now that you got the number, let me open up these phones. I think this should work. All right, Anonymous, you're on. Can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you. Good, good, good. You know, I, I know you're beholden to the Democrats. I, I understand your your um, your rationale. <laughs> right, what's my rationale then? It would be easier for us to move that party right. before we move the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now, I don't... I, 
I've lived a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a black descendant of the American Negro slaves. I've lived a while, okay. long enough to understand that the history of the Democratic Party. Oh, okay, now, before the switch, before Nixon, yeah. I'm not gonna. What I want you to, what I what I want to impart. I want to impart that four years is not soon enough. It's not, I don't think they'll, I don't think that'll convince them. I don't think, I think if we withheld our votes, this next election, that might cause, uh, it might promulgate the discussion. It might. But I don't know if we can do this. (laughs) I don't know if we can all unify to withhold our votes in solidarity on this one account. Can you convince me of that? All right, thanks. Thanks for calling. That's I actually mean, you can. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's actually Maybe a, that's a that's a good point. I'm going to speak right to it. I'm going to speak right to it. All right. So the problem is, and I went to my local Democratic meeting last week because you know I, I'm saying like, look, we're going to teach you how to do black politics, and we're going to teach you how to do black politics. I should you know go and do local black politics. So I went to my local Democratic meeting, and you got a bunch of white people in that room who do not have a black politics and do not think they need a black politics, although the town, Athens, is 27 to 35% black. They think they want a black, they want black, more black people in the room, but they're not willing to have a black politics that will get black people in the room. Um, so we need to put pressure on, and, and I, I made it uh, clear what I would do and how I would organize if they don't come up with a black politics uh, toot sweet. Um, but we need to put pressure on this Democratic Party. And if that means... Well, first, okay, so let me talk about the Republicans. We can actually work with the Republicans. We don't have the same pressure with the Republicans, but let's be honest. Republicans don't want to deal with black people. Like, they don't, like, the Republican base doesn't actually want to deal with black people. So issues like HBCUs, colleges that'll keep black people away from integrated schools and keep them at black colleges, that's actually something you can deal with Republicans on. It won't be pretty, Excuse me, but you can deal with Republicans on getting money for something like HBCUs. You might even be able to deal with Republicans on getting money for black-owned businesses. It'll be harder to get to deal with Republicans to f- get them to force integration into big white-owned businesses, but you can make deals with Republicans on, on like maybe getting contracts to black-owned businesses if you promise that. Um, you know, you'll leave the white-owned businesses alone. Like, there are deals. There are kind of ugly deals you can make. And insofar as we don't have real power with the Republican Party, we need to be honest about, like, what kind of deals we can make. That's why I'm disappointed with the CBC for not actually, like, trying to make a deal with um, with uh, Trump or, like, putting in that effort. Because that's their job. That's their job. And if they're not going to make that they're not going to take that job seriously. They need to come out with a clear politics, a clear plan, and explain that plan to me on air about how they're going to get some of this $470 billion contract money into black hands and into black communities. Um, so that's how we deal with Republicans. With Democrats, we don't have to be nice. We don't have to be nice at all. We tell Democrats what we want. We tell them we want a black politics, and then we sit out. 
if they don't give us a black politics we deserve. They're, now, the Democrats know that black politics is their weakness. That's why they paid at the national level so much money for Negro control. Oprah is Negro control. BET is Negro control. Chance the Rapper is Negro control. Their job is to get you to hate Republicans more than you're willing to ask dem- demand of Democrats an economic program. All of those, all of those NBA players who tell you to vote Democrat, just vote. Don't ask for anything, but just vote. Or just say like criminal justice is the only issue that matters. Just vote. Those are Negro control to keep you from asking the, from demanding of the Democratic Party the politics you deserve. They're all so they're all arms of social control. They're all propaganda. Joanne Reed is propaganda to keep you mad at Republicans, but not asking Democrats for the justice and the redress we deserve. That's how you get put on mainstream media. That's how you get put on. You get put on by admitting, by being willing to be social control for, to screw up black politics. That's how you get put on. That's how you get, that's how you get um, elevated, even in white left circles, by denying the need for black politics. Um, so independently, we need to build a black politics that never forgets that we need our due. And our due needs to be special from other people's due. Can't be universal. All right. Next caller. Hey, Aaron, it's Tobias. Hey, Tobias. What's up, man? Man, first I see you got cleaned up over the weekend. Your haircut. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I see. Hey, so a couple of quick things, man. What's up, man? Two quick things. Yeah. Uh, with Chance the Rapper, you know, I want my timeline. That's why you got this humanitarian award. <laughs> I wonder what was the humanitarian thing he did. <laughs> we should see the problem, black, the problem black people is we champion charity. Yes. Rappers should not be donating money to schools. That's the job of the government. Good for you, Tobias. To them to say, uh, and so, but here's the other thing I say on that real quick. That is not challenging white supremacy and the power to be. No. Paying out some charity. You're right. You're not challenging the system. Good for you. Yes. Uh, keep going. You can keep going. That was good. One point real quick, Irene. Yeah. I'll go. I know you got Get other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah I but you're doing good. That last season, Orange, I watched the season of Orange of the New Black Army, and uh, and they, they had this part of one black girl, the inmate, they showed her the high school, they showed her the inner city girl, and they took her to these white schools, right? These rich white schools. And they thought that would motivate her, but it actually unmotivated her. When she told her teacher, like, Susie's going to a science camp, when, and, and, and three, when she's going to cost more, my dad makes it three months. They're learning how to grow food. They got all these computers here, all this fun, and we got nothing. We got nothing. Hi. That is where these black politics have failed. Good, 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 good. All right, so we're gonna. Have, we need to make explicit all of the things that non-black people have implicitly all of the camps and all of the networks and all of the infrastructure that they do implicitly and don't tell anybody at, about and then they say like we're all in it together all the things that they do implicitly we need to make explicit because we don't have the disposable income to fund them themselves so we need we need to figure out 
the networks and the infrastructure that makes for non-black success and then demand funding to create pipelines and a network and an infrastructure for black success. Black politics, I never said black politics is easy. I'm saying that we have a claim and we don't have any money. So black politics is going to be the way to go. Also, Chance Rapper receiving a humanitarian award. Black people... No, 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 no. He's getting that reward for making more black people vote Democrat without asking, for, without demanding for like real redress. All right, so here's the deal. People don't know, and this is important. Um, March on Washington for jobs and freedom, right? So I just had a son. Yay, I just had a son. I, I have two daughters. Honestly, I was kind of hoping for a daughter. They live longer. They do better in school. Everything's easier. Like, I, I talked before about, like, when I think about black men, like, the, the adjective that comes to my mind is vulnerable, not like anything else. And, like, that's the right adjective. It's an adjective that we don't use for black men nearly enough because what they are is targeted and vulnerable. But I just had a son. And I named my son Bayard. And... um off of um, uh, Bayard, and he's named um, for Bayard Rustin, one of the principal organizers of the civil rights movement and one of the principal organizers of the, uh, watch, the, wa uh, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, right? Jobs and freedom. Jobs and freedom. That's what black people need to be talking about. All other black all other politicians, all other black policies that don't come down to jobs and freedom. And often it's all like in America, it's freedom through jobs is a distraction. Right? We need good paying jobs, not soup kitchens. We need justice, not charity. We need to get into those. We need carpenter contracts, carpentry contracts. And that means we need to have more black apprentice carpenters. And since there aren't a lot of black master carpenters, that means we need to force some of these white master carpenters to apprentice black um, carpenters and then withhold their licenses if they don't. That's what it comes down to. That's what happens when you're, when you're um, descended from slaves. Like, that's what happened, and like a generation and a half away from being sharecroppers and mates. That's what you need. Um, and that's the kind of quality of politics we need. There are a lot of things we can't teach for ourselves. Not in like carnivorous capitalism of 21st century America, because it takes capital to get the tools um, and it takes contracts to sustain your business. And if we can't get the contracts and we can't get the capital for the, to get the tools, the little bit of money you have for an LLC license and a YouTube um, account isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to do it. So hope that addresses Tobias's concern and Tobias's um, worries. And let's go on to another caller. Let's see how we're doing. Hey, caller, you're on. Caller? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. What's up? Hello, yes? Yes. Hi. Hey. What? I am happy to be uh, in pro. This is my first time attempting to call. Hey. 
And I am very much so appreciative of your show and Yvette's show. Thank I you. Tell your friends. You Thank you. You do a complete 180 on my uh, political stance. But the reason I'm calling is, is because I um, I joined the conversation late. So I don't know if you guys talked about Stacey Abrams or not. I imagine that happens here at the end. But I um, actually went to high school with her sister. Oh, the um, the other Yale graduate. <laughs> no, she has a lot of sisters. Oh, yeah, she does have a lot of sisters. Four, okay. four sisters and two brothers. All right, so tell me some dirt. My sister didn't go to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I've met her a couple of times, and I believe she is um, a sincere person, and I think she is someone that we can... I don't know any dirt on her, sorry. No, no. <laughs> I think she's a sincere person, that, and I think it's, she's someone that we can hold accountable. Good. Uh, if you... Go to some of her talks here on YouTube. She says, like, if you don't believe in what I'm doing as a politician, vote me out, you know. So um, I hear she's eager to coalesce with the Republicans, reach across the aisle and, and form um, coalitions with the Republicans. But nonetheless, I think she is a, a genuine candidate and someone who can be held accountable. And that's, that's always a good thing. Good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's, uh, all right. So I have an in with, um, I'll, 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 uh, I'll not divulge any names. I have an in with someone working on the Abrams campaign. And, um, he tells me that her politics are real. They're working out the platform. If I just sit tight, um, I will not be disappointed. And I say, you know what? Stacey Abrams, she's a young sister. I'm going to give her a few months um, to get her platform right. But I'm going to need, you're going to have to come out with a plan to get money in black people's pockets. Or I'm going to come after you. And I'm going to come after you hard. I'm actually, I, might, I might even come after you harder because you're black. Sorry. You need, like, yeah, I'm going to come after you hard. Um, you're going to need a black politics. You're going to need, I don't want any more black faces who, who excuse not pushing policies that will disproportionately redress the legacy of generational poverty and, 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 gener and being locked out of so many jobs. Like the University of Georgia, if you're the governor, you should be pushing for policies saying 20% of all staff, all upper five-figure, six-figure staff is black. Like you should be pushing for these policies. You should be doing it unapologetically too, because Georgia, this state, locked us out of these locked us out of these jobs, and uh, it's the state's responsibility. It's, the state is, right now is the only person who could do it to get us back in, to pipeline us, to shoehorn us back in. So that's the quality of politics I need from Stacey Abrams. She's just been a little bit too general in what I've read from her, and a little bit too eager to cross the aisle. She says, like, one of her fundamental principles is to work with other work cross the aisle and work with the opposing party when she can. That's not one of my fundamental principles. Um, my fundamental principle is getting money into black people's pockets and using the power of government to do so, to force... To, to force and using the licensing power and the contracting power of government to force money into black communities en masse. So that my goal is before I expire, I turn Athens, Georgia into a place where black people, you just know that if you're black, you come from an $80,000 a year household. That's my goal. 
I want to create a black middle class Athens. Just 70, I don't need a bunch of millionaires. I need 70, $80,000 a year um, heating and cooling people. Apprenticing other black 70, $80,000 a year heating and cooling people. That's my dream of Athens. And that's my dream of a black politics that works. In California, that number is going to be a little bit higher. Because, like, there are issues. But, like, in Athens, I want 80. I want to, I want, I want to just walk out and know that, uh, that, like, all the black people I see come home, like, have, have not only disposable, uh, not only, like, survival income, but disposable income. Because they're making, like, bringing home in their household, like, $80,000. That's what I want. And that's, that's what I need a black politics to, to try to endeavor to win for me. Uh, let's go to the next call. Hey, what's up, man? Hello? Hello? Yeah, you're on. Oh. What's Hi, up? Hi, this is Marlene. I was calling to talk about the pipeline, uh, what you're saying about the prison uh, pipeline for black kids. And the white kids, they have... Uh, starting out, or, or Mexican, they're starting them out as bankers in elementary school. And their pipeline is going, like, all the way through where they don't have anything for black kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, all right. So, okay, we can talk about that. So, we have to be careful, right? So, you have to set up pipelines in the right way. We want pipelines that increase capital in the black community, but we don't want pipelines that teach other black people how to treat black people like garbage, right? So right now we have political pipelines that teach up-and-coming aspiring politicians how to get elected by ignoring black people. Like, so I worry about, like, say, finance pipelines before we get... Um, our political education right because that might teach black people how to work for Goldman Sachs in a way that ends up for example doing what it's social interest bonds or something like right now Goldman Sachs is, is betting on black kids like they, they've turned the charter school market into like a betting market then they make money off of black success and failure in a way that's like not necessarily tied to like creating strong black people. So like I don't want to create the next type of banker who's going to so easily go into that situation and go along with it. So we need to get our, 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 our public education right. And if I said this before, I don't know if I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. In an authoritarian regime, and the, the U.S. Isn't, author, isn't a real authoritarian regime. In an authoritarian regime, you have a minister of propaganda who tells you, a state-run TV, who tells people what to think and how to think and like controls all the media. In a liberal democracy, you do propaganda in a different way. You do it by omission. So we do propaganda, we do anti-black propaganda 
by omitting all of the ways the U.S. government has locked black people out of economic life in the United States. We do propaganda by leaving Black Wall Street and the terrorism that, that, that brought down Black Wall Street out of the history books. We do propaganda by leaving out the move bond bombings in um, Philadelphia um, in the 80s out of the history books. And we do, do anti-black propaganda by leaving out in the Oregon um, public education books the fact that Oregon didn't even allow black people to buy property until 1926. And by 1926, all the property you want is, like, bought. So um, we do anti-black propaganda in the United States by making... U.S. citizens incompetent with respect to black justice claims. And we do that by just, like, I bet you in schools in Athens, they don't talk about the extent to which the government um, abetted anti-black racism in Athens. They, I, I suspect they don't even tell uh, the kids that UGA, the University of Georgia in Athens, the flagship university, was uh, segregated white until the 60s and was only desegregated by court order, which means it wasn't really desegregated for decades later, probably until Dominique Wilkins played basketball. Then, like, and right now it's only got what? I, 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 said, I read a report that Oh, I heard a story that it's only 1.5% black male. And if a school is 1.5% black male, that's just athletes. And that's your flagship school where all the billions of dollars from the state kind of run through. Um, it's just casual about locking black people out. So when I think about pipelines, we need pipelines to all of the jobs. And they need to be state-sponsored because we, can't, we don't know how to do everything, so we can't apprentice ourselves. I'll take uh, two more callers. Hey, you're on. Hello? Hey, what's up? Uh, am I on? You are on. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's yes. It was a little difficult because I could hear the other callers. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to say that I had a chance to uh, see you um, on a stream at the People Summit. Oh. So I had a chance to see you uh, sort of push back on something that I believe Demiki Cox said <laughs> about um, yeah. media. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really did appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and there was another black person in that room? There was another black person in that room? Um, I don't think so. I, didn't, I think you were it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I think you were it. I think I might have seen a couple of other brown faces on the live <laughs> screen, but I think you were the one representing for the yeah. most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also had a chance to, yeah, I had a chance to um, uh, check out Dan Jones' speech, which was really, really moving. It was just, it was great, except that he did exactly what you said in terms of basically saying we only want criminal justice reform. I think that's that the message that I got out of it, right. despite the fact that it was it was a pretty moving speech, and he talked about the minors and how, you know, black law boys and chants. Really moving speech. Basically, I got out of it. They don't want reparations anymore. Don't want this. Don't want that. But just killing our kids. I'm like, is that really the message that we really we want to say? Yeah. In terms of what our, um, our demands are and what we really need for our community. 
you know, I, I kind of like Dayton, but I mean, that that wasn't me. Yeah. So, yeah. I know you have a lot of other calls. No. I just get what your client's policy situation. What's my what situation? I see that, I see that a lot of um, uh, sort of black rules uh, uh, that Nancy needs to be replaced. Oh, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can talk a little bit now. All right. So. Yes, like, I do. I want to. All right. So. What I want to know. What, what is the whole perspective on the Nancy? Pelosi? I can. I can talk about Nancy. And Pelosi. where should? I can talk about Nancy Pelosi. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just got to keep moving. Um. So, first, first of all, at the People's Summit, and we could const. Um. It was actually really talented. In a well-ordered world, Namiki and I would be colleagues. I think we can work well together. I think she said something horribly ignorant and ridiculously like misleading. She said television is dead in terms of like its political effectiveness. You spend all the money on television and like it's dead. To which, like, for black people, that's just not true. Like the like, and I, she was in a room full of people who all have, like, very good internet connections and, like, probably have cell phones and then, like, have, like, um, you know, live in areas with really good fast internet and all of that. So when you tell those people that television is dead, you're really actually, like, doing anti-black politics because a lot of black people still get their news from television. The internet is not everywhere. Broadband is not everywhere. Not everyone can keep up on their internet bill all the time. We still get a lot of our information from television. And we disproportionately watch television. So it's not just the ads that are working on us. It's the stories themselves and the structures of the drama. That's why I say that Shonda Rhimes' job is Negro control. Nobody gets politically active in the right, nobody does black politics like I do black politics by watching Scandal. You get a distorted view of what black politics looks like by watching Scandal. Because the one time Olivia Pope almost got woke, almost got woke, almost got woke was in a very special episode. And it had to be a very special episode, can't, can't do that nonsense every week, about police shooting. And she almost got woke in that very special episode. There was no, like, Olivia Pope, like, organizing to make sure black contractors get jobs. That's because ABC won't air that. So when it's in the structure of the drama, television works in the black imagination in so many different ways that we need to... So when Nomiki Cohn said television is dead as a politically um, vibrant, like, relevant media, I said no. No, Namiki, don't tell these white people that. <laughs> like, this is the reason why the left lost. Because Bernie didn't, like, doesn't, didn't take black media seriously and didn't take television seriously. And, you know, I have on good occasions that, like, he had a chance to put more money in the South Carolina ad market and chose not to. Um, and that's why his internet movement did not translate to a black movement because black people still do a lot of word of mouth and we still watch a lot of television. So we need to get in the FCC to make sure that, you know, black channels get um, uh, put on charter, uh, that, that you have a real independent black media. That's not, and BET is Negro control. We need to advocate so people like a vet, and even people like myself, but mostly people like a vet, Get on mainstream television somehow. Even if you get her on Fox, get a vet on television. Get vet on TV. 
Like, that's how you're going to reach black people in a mass way. So when Namiki Khan said that television is dead for black people, I, I had to, like, because, like, apparently Internet's a new way, I had to push back. Although, like, I respect Namiki. I find her actually talented and really prepared. I, like, I can't have her saying that message uh, to a room full of people who are actually bad at black politics because that'll make them actually worse. Television still matters. In a well-ordered world, I've said this before, you have me writing a reboot of Good Times where, um, where uh, Michael is a laid-off Chicago school teacher who now like, is organizing black politics. That's, like, that's the kind of television I would pump, and that's the kind of television that we need, but that's not the kind of television we won't get. That's not the kind of television we will get unless we have a black politics that pushes for that kind of television. Instead, we'll get Shonda Rhimes telling you that, like, Black politics means sleeping with the president. Um, and she made another point that I can't quite remember. It was very good. Nancy Pelosi. I, so Nancy Pelosi is a problem for black people. Black people, Nancy Pelosi is a problem for us. She's a San Francisco Democrat, which means she's a Democrat from a city that's gotten rid of its black people. <laughs> like We don't need Democrats from cities that have made a policy out of getting rid of its black people to be to be the head of a party that like black people are trying to like leverage. Nancy Pelosi needs to be get needs to get gone. She needs to have an entire speech about how she's fallen down on the job for the last few decades while she's letting her, while she's let her city get rid of exterminate not just jail just jail and push out black people. Jail and black people are now. You know, I read an article that said there was 6% of the city, but 56% of the jail in San Francisco. Now, that's atrocious. And I think it's actually that number's gone down to 3% of the city. I don't know how many of the jail. But, like, she, we're letting the leader of the Democratic Party be from a place that's actively hostile to black people. That's unacceptable. I have hard words for Nancy Pelosi. None of those words. But, like, nobody's ever going to put me in a room for Nancy Pelosi because I don't have that kind of skrilla. And that's... That's pretty much a metaphor for, like, black people and their relationship with Nancy Pelosi. Like, we don't have the money to press her, and she's the only response to money. Um, so she needs to go. We need a black politics that says Nancy Pelosi needs to go. We need a, a black leader. We need a leader of the Democratic Party who's not necessarily black, but a leader of the Democratic polit- uh, Party who actually is committed to black politics. And not the politics for everyone, not politics for people of color. Because San Francisco's got a lot of people of color. It just doesn't have black people. Because it pushed the black people out because it was tired of black people. All right, last caller. Uh, last caller. I'm going to Chicago. 773, these are my people. All right, you're on. Hello? 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 Oh man, Chicago, don't let me down. 773, you're on. Hello? All right, I guess that's a wrap. Um, it makes me sad to, to hang up on a 773 number, but I have to. All right, you're on. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, you're on. What's okay, up? Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, first, I'd like to say uh, I really love you and I. Uh, Yvette Cornell yeah. and Antonio Moore, I think um, y'all bringing the numbers uh, and the data really changed a lot of people's um, viewpoints on, you know, black politics and just black statistics in general. Good. But I have two questions, Henry, 
Yes. And um, and I, I'm going to ask them, and then I get off and listen to you on huh. your screen live. Right. The first one is I, I was listening to uh, this talk radio show, and they was talking about Eric Holder might throw his name in the hat for <laughs> presidency, and I wanted to know what you think about Eric yeah. Holder's I mean, politics. I mean. um, that's one. And then the second question is, I know you were talking about uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, the, the mayor yeah, um, you know, probably advocate for black uh, black contracts and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that, you know, in Jackson, it's 80% black. Right. So how can people who live, like, say, in a city where, like, say, it's 30% black, right. we might have a Democratic or liberal mayor, but he's white or maybe he's black, but we only make up like 30% of the population or 40% of the population. How can we convince these politicians to uh, advocate for putting money in the black people's pockets whenever most of their constituencies are white? And uh, i just like to know what your thoughts about how you can advocate that in cities where it's not uh, majority black, like, say, Jackson, Mississippi, or Atlanta, Georgia but somewhere, you know, else in the South. And okay. then I uh, listen to you off there. Okay? Oh, thanks, man. All right, so first things first, he mentioned Holder, Eric Holder throwing in this room. Like, Eric Holder likes black people right up until it gets in the way of white money. Like that. <laughs> Eric Holder likes black people right up until it gets in front of white money, in which case he doesn't care about black people. He wasn't trying to get keep black people in their house. He wasn't trying to, to prosecute bankers who were swindling black people during the housing scheme. Like, he likes black people right up until it gets in the way of white money. And anybody who has that limit isn't going to be about a serious black politics. Um, in my mind. I, 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 I just think that's the case. Anyone who's not willing to jeopardize, who's not willing to take on white capital, isn't going to be seriously for black people. What Harold Holder might do is do some decent stuff on criminal justice, although, like, it'll just be all right. But that's still not a serious black politics. So, like, no, Eric Holder, I'll vote for the white person who's trying to put money into black people's politics more than I'll vote for Eric Holder. I don't need another black face in a high place. I need policies that'll put my people into heating and cooling jobs and plumbing jobs. Like, he, he's pro-black, he's not pro-black enough. And I, and I need enough. I need the money. I need you to talk about how you're going to get money into black people's pockets. All right, so Chokwe Mumba. Uh, I have a great picture of me and Chokwe uh, uh, from the People's Summit. Uh, I think he's great. I, I, think he's, I think he's actually a wonderful human being. Uh, he's going to try to get uh, contracts to black businesses. He won on a platform. They say he, and the caller was worried about Jackson being 87% black and him winning on that platform. All right, so Chokwe's success is the result of about 20 years of black politics. His dad moved from Detroit to Jackson and just started moving and just started organizing, and just started organizing, and 20 years later, you get the black politics we're looking for. Is that going to, how, can you do it? Is that going to work for cities with smaller black populations? Um, first of all, if it works, it'll definitely work for Gary, right? Like, it'll definitely work for, like, even Mobile, but, like, it'll, it'll definitely work for for other places with big black populations. And two, cities with small black populations but still historically democratic, 
let's say Athens, right? Athens is 30% black, historically democratic-ish enough, the city proper, excuse me, in its, you know, own little white supremacist way. Um, but that means that you only need 35% of white people. If you get all your black people, and because if black people show up, they vote. If black people show up, they vote Democrat. If black people show up, they vote Democrat. White people show up, they vote any which way they want to. So you only really need 35% of white people and, and all of your black people to push, and, push the agenda through. The, the problem is, if you talk to white Democrats, they don't want to not go for all white people. They want all white people to vote for them. They're not, they're, they don't want, they want, or at least 90% of white people to vote for them. They don't want to go for the, the, the 50, the 40% white strategy. Um, and that's where democratic politics pushes them and forces them to say like, no, your cousin is a problem. Forsake your cousin and vote for black politics that your cousin's not going to like, or we will like knock you out of the primary. We need to stop letting white Democrats in substantively black uh, municipalities and counties get away with not having a black politics. Because we don't have like a super majority, but we have majority within the Democratic Party. We have majority within the primary structure. So this push of white Democrats to try to win without a black politics and just assume black people will go on and go with it, we need to starve them out. We need to let it be known that, no, white Democrat, you're not going to go forward unless you come out with a black politics. And that way, the white Democrat will still win with 45% of the white vote. It just, he just won't win or she won't win with 75% of the white vote. But that's not our problem. Our problem is getting our black platform on the agenda. So that's how you win with only 30%. You get the white Democrat to say, do you, you tell the white Democrat either you come up with a black politics or we, we won't let you get past the primary. So instead of the white Democrat trying to get 80% of white voters and win on a, like some sort of universalist program, we, say, we get the, the, the white Democrat to forsake white voters, which is going to be tricky but if we're organized, these Democrats want to win more than they want to keep their cousins happy. We can do it. All right. Hey, look, thanks for, uh, thanks for playing along. Tell your friends about this. Go to the Funky, go to IMEO, say friend Pong or the Funky Academic. Um, like this video, share this video, tell your friends. I don't have the same platform as a vet, so not as many people know about this video, but I need you to do your work on me, people. Hit this on Twitter. We're doing black politics. We're doing black politics on multiple channels. And um, check out my stuff. Tone Talks is doing good work. Antonio Moore. Um, and check out Breaking Brown. Yvette will be with you on Wednesday. Take care now. No, let, let me be clear. Yvette will be with you tomorrow uh, for a special show and on Wednesday. All right, bye.